Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. So why do you want to learn a new language? I'll tell you why. Because donde esta el baño can be a very important question at times. You know, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. Fast track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a natural way. I love the fact that I can go from my laptop to my phone to pretty much anywhere and learn the language of my choice. Not to mention I'm bringing my communication skills to new heights. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, Star Talk Radio listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash StarTalk. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash StarTalk today. Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. This is Star Talk, Cosmic Queries Edition. Neil deGrasse Tyson here, your personal astrophysicist. Got with me, Chuck Nice. Hey, Neil. Get you, you're the man for Cosmic Queries. You know this. I will. You know this. I hope. I hope I'm the man for something. <laughs> People love hearing you mispronounce their name. That's, I've been. <laughs> what can I say? I. Uh, but it, I have to tell them it's not on purpose, and they don't. They don't believe it. They think you're better than that. No. And then you're just messing with them. Well, but. listen. Uh, I, I appreciate your um, raised expectation. <laughs> and uh, much like my parents, you will find that I will not meet those expectations. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> Every comedian says that about their parents, I'm sure. Oh, God, yes. Uh, so, uh, Chuck, you know, we we had Brian Cox on uh, yeah. for Cosmic Queries, and people went ape over that. Super popular. How you doing, Brian? Very well, thank you. And I, I well, Chuck can't pronounce my name wrong, can he? That, I, that surely, I've got the short possible. That's <laughs> <laughs> so true. <laughs> However, the, the I, I, Brian could happen. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go with that. It sounds exotic. Yeah, so let me remind people: uh, Brian Cox is a is a, a theoretical particle physicist uh, in the UK, and he has a huge public following, having hosted many programs on BBC. Uh, on I, I forgot all the names because they blend together. Is it like? The solar system universe. Wonders <laughs> of the solar system, wonders of the universe. And then, as you know, then you run out of titles. So then we did the universe and the planet. Yeah. And then we, we've run out yeah. now. I, I don't know what to do next. <laughs> uh, you? Uh, maybe you should, uh, the next show should just be like, look, it's me, Brian. <laughs> That's all we're talking. Come on, you already know. It's me, uh, Brian. Uh, <laughs> Cosmos. So we can't, I can't have that. So I don't know. Yeah, right. You can't use Cosmos. Right, right. But I think between Brian in the physical universe and 
who's everyone's favorite grand grandpa uh, in the UK who hosts the shows? Um, all the naturalist. Um, oh, uh, and, um, Sir David. Uh, oh, excuse me, Sir David. <laughs> oh, that's right. Indeed, <laughs> indeed. As we look upon the frozen tundra, we see here the majestic poppin as it makes its way. That <laughs> never. No, no, that was good, Chuck. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. Was good. Yeah, yeah. Everybody yeah. loves Sir David Attenborough. Yeah. So the two of you basically split the 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 natural and the physical universe in your in your public presentations of it. And it, it delights everyone. But I happen to have you on the show specifically for your expertise in cosmology and in uh, relativity, black holes, Big Bang, particle physics. And because this goes beyond where I have total control yeah. over, uh, over what I know. And so... It's a lot, uh, hell of a lot harder than capuchin monkeys. Okay. <laughs> Take that, Sir David. <laughs> I don't know. I, I would say one of the simplest things from the outside, anyway, is a black hole, right? It's a very, very simple equation that describes it. Whereas a monkey, it's a very complicated. <laughs> <laughs> no one will ever understand no the monkey. <laughs> black holes don't throw their shit at you. <laughs> <laughs> I was up. Uh, there you go. <laughs> or, rip, or rip your face off while you're looking at it. <laughs> so, so, Chuck, we've solicited questions from our fan base. Yes, And I'm delighted uh, about this overlap. I mean, Brian and I are just trying to bring the universe down to Earth to whoever is going to listen. And we'll just keep at it, you know, until, you know, for, for all our natural days. So, Chuck, give it to me. What do you have? All right. This is Jennifer... Gildea, or Gilday. She says, hello, Dr. Cox, Dr. Tyson, and Dr. Lots of Laughs. A question from my son, <laughs> Colin. Dr. Cox, can you tell us more about the theorized near destruction of Earth and what stopped this catastrophe just after the Big Bang? And could such a disaster ever be caused by the Higgs particle in the future? Is there any way to detect when or if such an event might occur. Now, there are many things mixed in that <laughs> soup right there, and many of them are way, way apart <laughs> on a timeline, but there you have it. Wait, wait, let me tighten that a little. Yeah, so go ahead. It, 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 does the Higgs boson, uh, uh, delighted that it got discovered at CERN, and or weren't you affiliated with CERN? Is, is that right? You have a, had an appointment there? Ooh. Yes, right. Yeah, it's on the on the uh, Atlas experiment. Um, that's a beautiful experiment. A beautiful, and in fact, there's a fun rap video that describes the experiments that are conducted at the this European uh, organization for nuclear research, and they describe the Atlas experiment in this rap video. It's great. Yeah. Uh, you've seen it, I'm, I'm sure, Brian. Yeah, it's it's, it's, I mean, Atlas just to set this. It's a huge camera, basically. So it's one of the big the the big detectors that observes these high energy particle collisions that the Large Hadron Collider generates, and those are yeah, the yeah. question. The one way to think about it is that it recreates the conditions that were that were present less than a billionth of a second after the Big Bang. Yeah. So what's interesting is you can create something even though we weren't there for it. <laughs> we can simulate it, wow. not even not just on a computer, but in real life. Yeah. Which is so so this Higgs particle. Just give us like a minute on the Higgs particle in the Higgs field, and then I'll put a back at, uh, come through the back door into that question. So the, the Higgs particle, it was theorized actually back in the 1960s. Uh, it's a remarkable story because it was a, a mathematical way 
of giving the fundamental building blocks of the universe mass. So for the electron, for example, or, or the quarks that build up protons and neutrons. So at a fundamental level, it was difficult to write down mathematical equations that describe nature as we see it without doing something rather clever. You can't just, you can't just stick the masses of the particles in. And you remember the mass of the electron was, it was, it was known since 1897. Or so so we, you know, we know this thing has mass. But it was very difficult. And um, so... Wait, wait, but Brian, wait, wait, just a moment. It, it's, it's already a, a big step to think to ourselves that the mass comes from something, right? The, isn't just the mass a property of matter? And now you're telling me it's not a property of matter, it's a property of something else handed to the matter. Yeah, it comes in, in, in this picture, which, as you said, has now been shown to be correct, right? Because we discovered the Higgs particle. Um, the, the, the mass, the most fundamental level, comes from the interaction of these things, these particles, with the Higgs field. We call it a field, so you can imagine it as something that fills the universe. Um, and uh, so, it, I mean, you, you get mass from all sorts of things. So, so most of the mass actually doesn't come from that. Most of it just comes from, it's, it's really through Einstein's equation equals mc squared. So you can, so energy equals mass and mass equals energy. And so, so you can get um, mass by just things sticking together. So most of the mass of the proton, for example, is, uh, which is one of the building blocks of the nucleus, comes from the quarks sticking together inside the proton. But at the most fundamental level, Yes, the particles, the building blocks like quarks and electrons have mass, and that comes from their interaction with the Higgs field. It, it, there's, a, there's a kind of picture that people use, which is one of those, it's a bit hand-wavy, but it's a reasonable picture. It's, it, it's, you imagine pulling something through, you know, what do you call it, treacle or syrup? I never know which way to call it in the US. Is it treacle? Do you have that stuff? Uh, maple syrup. Maple syrup. Syrup, yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I was going to say, uh, that nobody has ever said, would you care for some pancakes and treacle? <laughs> treacle? I have no idea what that is. Everyone will know, but I've been giving these talks around the country, these lectures, and I, I know things like, I know that the um, an object the mass of the sun, if you squash it down to three kilometers in radius, then you get a, a black hole, right? It's called the Schwarzschild radius. I don't really know it in miles, and so I have to multiply everything by 0.6 in my head so I know all these numbers. <laughs> Dude, you guys handed us miles. All right. Don't take, don't start put blame on us. That came from your people, your your kindred souls of generations gone by. And then you try to confuse us later on. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> so so you, if you if you have something moves through maple syrup, then um it it sort of slows down, it acquires a a, a kind of momentum-like quality to it. And then that's one of the ways that people describe the Higgs field. It's not the, the best description, but what we're saying is that we now know that the most fundamental level, little points, the smallest particles we know of, acquire mass through an interaction with this thing called the Higgs field. And the point is that it, 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 it wasn't doing that very early on in the history of the universe. Then as the universe cooled down uh, just after the Big Bang, then the Higgs field kind of flips and, 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 and this property of it switched on. And that's, um, that's, so things acquire mass at some point. Okay, so is it possible, uh, could something happen in the universe, getting back to the person's question, could something happen in the universe where the Higgs field malfunctions 
and the masses get confused and Earth dies. <laughs> Somewhere in there, there was the end of the Earth. Earth's going to die times. before that could possibly happen, right? So you can relax. You're going to die <laughs> for other reasons. <laughs> relax, yeah, exactly. You're going to die for t- 10 yeah, other reasons. And there you go, dead, Jennifer. Right? Take up smoking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> even the solar system is going to be a real mess, right? But before <laughs> the sun's going to, as you know, it's going to, when, when's it, you know, it's going to start swelling up in about a billion years, isn't it? And then uh, I think, you know, ultimately it'll be a red giant, be a mess. I don't think it will quite engulf the earth, but it can get really... Not quite, but it'll totally, uh, uh, it'll totally torch us, yeah. yes. So that's good, yes. so relax. Yeah, I mean, half of the horizon will be the sun when it rises. Just imagine that, yeah. right? That's how big it will be in the sky. Wow. And yeah, yeah. As the oceans come to a boil and they evaporate and you lose the atmosphere. So yeah, and I, we're putting it at about six billion, five to six billion years. But, but, but getting back to this person's point, is there a scenario where the end of the Earth would come about from, for some particle physics reason rather than from an astrophysical I, reason? I, no is the, the basic answer. We, the, the thing to say about the Higgs field, so you can picture it as a kind of a valley. Imagine, imagine a high valley and then a lower valley. So if you had a, a little something rolling around in a valley that was high up and it rolled around in just the right way, it could flip flip out of that valley, roll down the hill into the lower valley. Uh, and the Higgs field um, looks a bit like that. Um, so over very, 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 very immensely long times, it is possible, yes, that the Higgs field will change character, will, will change. And, and that As it did in the early universe. As it did in the early universe. Yeah. And that would change the laws of mm-hmm. physics that we see. So it really would um, completely reconfigure um, the universe if that happened. Um, but we, so, and actually... And Chuck, 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 reconfigure is euphemism for completely destroy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Right, Brian, in, in the hood, they say, let me reconfigure your face. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and actually, and, and it's interesting, actually, that, that the, um, so there's another element to these predictions, which is called the top quark, which is the heaviest fundamental particle that we discovered. Uh, and and that ma- the mass of that is is intimately related to these sort of predictions, and and they are kind of on the edge of stability. But I just want to reassure people: by edge of stability, people are talking about trillions of. If you imagine the half life of a radioactive atom, a nucleus, right? You know the, the uranium or something, and it takes billions of years to for half of these things to decay. It's like that. So so you're talking trillions of years before you have a a chance that this thing sort of reconfigures. That's basically the point. So it's not something that some people should worry about, which is why I say that, you know, uh, no, that's not going to destroy the Earth because it's not going to happen on timescales to that length. What's interesting to me, if in trillions of years, the universe reconfigures, it could reconfigure to a whole other uh, combination of laws of physics, right? Yeah, you're, you're saying things like um, you're changing the mass of the electron, for example. You might the, the photon particle light may not be massless. If you if you change the character of the Higgs field, it could give light mass rather than the mm. called W and Z bosons, which is to do with if you're a student, you'll know radioactive beta decay. It's there to do with that. So, so then light light would have light would be making a slep then across <laughs> the a slep across the universe <laughs> if it wasn't massless. If you know by the time it get here, it'd be like Jesus, I'm so tired. <laughs> God. <laughs> well, it's, it's inconceivable. I mean, it, you, you don't really, you, you can't, we can't conceive of a universe with massive, where 
particles of light are massive and electrons are different mass. And you know, right. the, the, the possibilities appear to be endless. Now, I should say this is right at the edge of our knowledge. So we don't, we don't really know. But it's interesting. But yes, the point is that basically we do have theoretical scenarios where the Higgs field can, can change and change character. And that would change the things that we call the laws of physics now. The, the wow. laws of physics that we... And would have consequences vastly greater than just the destruction of the Earth. That's oh, yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. Or, or rather, the re the, the reconfiguration. The reconfiguration. I'm sorry, people. Earth is now going to be a, a vacation spot <laughs> reconfigure, for another yeah. dimension. <laughs> Rearrange the deck chairs. Right. Yeah. Uh, we got to take a quick break oh. uh, when we come back. Yeah, I know that went quickly. Oh God! But I we but we learned all about Higgs bosons and a little bit of the history of it. Uh, when we come back, more with my friend and colleague from across the pond. Brian Cox. So we'll be right back with Cosmic Queries. Sleep. Grocery shopping. Themselves. Just a few things working moms seldom have time for. And during tax season, you can add taxes to their list. So for all you working moms, make the easy switch to H&R Block and have an expert make easy work of your taxes. H&R Block guarantees your taxes are 100% accurate and your max refund or your money back. Plus, with their no surprise guarantee, you'll always know the price of your tax prep before you begin. You can even have an H&R Block tax pro do your taxes in a block office or online from the comfort of your own home. Can your current tax guy promise all that? When you're buried under life's to-dos, let the experts at H&R Block stay on top of your taxes with a return that's right on the money and your biggest refund possible. Because tax season after tax season, it's better with Block. Make an appointment at hrblock.com. All tax situations are different. Not everyone gets a refund. Limitations apply. Descriptions of benefits and details at hrblock.com slash guarantees. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Bring everyone together for a great time with the Nintendo Switch system. Get the whole family in on the fun with exciting games that everyone can enjoy, like Super Mario Bros. Wonder, Animal Crossing, New Horizons, and more. Nintendo Switch has three different play modes all in one system. Play in TV mode, tabletop mode, or handheld mode when you're on the go. Visit nintendo.com slash us slash switch to learn more. Games rated E for everyone. 
Hi, I'm Chris Cohen from Haworth, New Jersey, and I support Star Talk on Patreon. Please enjoy this episode of Star Talk Radio with your and my favorite personal astrophysicist, Neil deGrasse Tyson. We're back, Cosmic Queries. Of course, I got Chuck Nice on this, and. Uh, and I have to call him a special guest, Brian Cox. You know, we don't get him often. Uh, Brian Cox, a, a friend and colleague and uh, a physicist extraordinaire. Now, we just spent the whole first of three segments talking about destroying Earth with the Higgs boson. Yeah. Uh, so, Brian, my favorite an an analog for the Higgs field, did I tell you this? It's, uh, when I, if, if I'm in L.A., I refer to a, um, the Higgs field is like a party field in Los Angeles. Okay, so you you go into a party and nobody knows who you are and you have to get to the bar, which is at the other side of the huge room. And you could just walk there and get there pretty quickly. But Beyonce enters <laughs> and people crowd around her and she can mo only move much more slowly to the bar. So she has a much higher party mass than someone that nobody's ever heard of in Los Angeles. So is that, is that that is that an exact mathematical analog? It's a really good analogy. It's, it's, it's that it's the interaction that, that that causes the mass delivers them. Co correct, and it's different from your molasses because your molasses probably has sort of the same um, um, uh, uh, formula for the force on it. I mean, maybe that's also true for the Higgs boson. I don't know, but the the uh, was it the v squared uh, resistance to motion. You know, like air resistance, right? Yeah. So, but here it's it's in the party field. You're right. It, they're they're one on one interactions that completely define everything about it and who gets to the bar faster. So Beyonce never gets to the bar. Right. That's yeah. how that works. So, and that is uh, it's a good that view. is why, based on my career, I am drunk because <laughs> you got to the I'm bar. A, real fast. I can't even get away from the bar. It's like I can't couldn't get to the bar fast enough. <laughs> Who's that guy? Nobody knows. <laughs> so give me give me another one. What's the, what's the next question you got for us? Elaine Bordeaux says, "Hey guys, uh, Elaine here from Montreal, Canada. Uh, All right. Why do we say that nothing can travel faster than light when the universe?" is expanding faster than light. And entangled particles communicate with each other faster than light. And also, when we say that a black hole is so dense that even light can't escape it, well, it makes it sound as if there is actually light inside the black hole trying to get out. But to me, if a star gets spaghettified and reduced to a stream of atoms while entering the black hole, there is no fire in that light going on. <laughs> Only <laughs> atoms. Am I right? <laughs> so there, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's take the one that we reach, Neil can... Talk about as well. Let's say the, the the easy bits first. So, so um, yes. Um, in so, so often we describe space time this as the fabric of the universe. The title of Brian Greene's great book, right? The fabric of the universe, uh, and and indeed, light travels at the speed of light over that thing, that surface, that fabric, and nothing travels faster than it. And that's really built into the geometry itself, and it, and it allows. The universe to respect cause and effect and all sorts of things, right? So it's, it's absolutely fundamental. Um, and actually, we should say, going back to the previous question, it's massless particles that travel at the speed of light. 
that light happens to be massless because it doesn't interact with the Higgs field, going back to the previous thing. So, so light's not the special thing. It's actually things without mass, right? Um, but the expansion of the universe, you can picture, you really can picture it like a, a sheet. Like it's often described as a rubber sheet, just a stretchy kind of sheet. And, you, and it stretches. And so the distance between two points increases over time. If you just stretch any old thing at a constant rate, but it's very big, then if you have very distant points, then they recede from each other very quickly. And indeed, no matter what the expansion rate is, you, you can get so far apart that these things will be receding from each other faster than light. But it's not that they're moving, they're not moving through the universe faster than light. It's the universe is just stretching rather sedately. So if the universe is a medium, then they're not traveling through the medium. The medium itself is doing the moving, and they're just kind of sitting there along for the ride? Yes, yes. so they, they li literally ride along with the, with the stretch of the universe. It's called a co-moving okay. volume and all sorts of things. Well, just to be clear, astrophysically, they could be moving on their own. They could be orbiting other galaxies. Yeah. Uh -huh. and so they could have their own motion. So they're, okay. But that motion itself is, is not is in the fabric is, of the universe. Oh my God. And the expansion of the universe is, 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 an, is a level above that. Right? But wait, wait, oh, okay. so, so for example, Andromeda, the galaxy is coming towards us because it's close enough that the gravitational interaction between the Milky Way and Andromeda completely overwhelms the stretch. But if you go out to large enough distances, then the, the stretch wins and everything flies apart from everything else. Wow, Neil said okay. that they can be, they, as you said, they can be absolutely stationary in, in the fabric of the universe. I mean, it's kind of, you've got to be careful with, these are, these are models, right? And these are pictures. Um, if you, so if you look at what Einstein's um, equations tell you, they, don't, they just tell you you've got points and you can define some distance between them and you can see how that distance changes. And that's it, really. Well, yes, that's the point. It, it's not, there's nothing strange about the fact that things can recede from each other faster than the speed of light. That just is a property of something that just stretches with things in it. Okay. Right. Well, keep going. There are more things in this list. So, yeah. Because I think, the, mm -hmm. I think the questioner has a point where here we are saying there's nothing, speed of light is the limit. And now we're saying, no, they can't. Space can stretch faster than the speed of light. We have quantum entanglement, mm -hmm. which moves faster than light, and so, tunneling is faster than light. All of this. Yeah. So maybe we should stop saying nothing moves faster well, than so light. Well, you, so you can certainly say that information doesn't travel faster than the speed of light between two places or two events, whatever you want to call them. Quantum entanglement is a great thing. It, for those of you that don't know what it is, it's... Um, yeah, give us, a, give us yeah. a minute on that. So, um, yeah, for so sure. So you can imagine, I always describe it in terms of quantum coins, right? So you can have these, you have a quantum coin, which is uh, heads 50% of the time when you look at it and tails 50% of the time when you look at it. But the key weird thing about quantum mechanics is that uh, it will not be heads or tails until you look at it. And we can have a huge philosophical discussion about what that means and there's a whole literature on it, but just that's the way that nature behaves, right? So the, the coin can be both had... Oh, by the way, just, just to be clear, Brian, just because we don't want to like mislead people here, it has nothing to do with your eye-brain no. connection. Right, right? exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, not, it's not that you look at it, it's that if you make a measurement of it, 
no matter what's making the measure. 100% right. correct. <laughs> very, okay. very important. There's nothing to do with your consciousness no. or anything no. else. Okay. So, but it's an entangled state of two quantum coins. And I do this in my live show, actually. I write it down. You can have a, a pair of quantum coins and they can be in the state heads, tails, plus tails, heads. Heads, tails, plus tails, heads. So that's what they are. The, the, if, if you look at them, uh, right, with the caveat you said, if they're, they're then they're, they could be heads, tails, or tails, heads. Never heads, heads, so they're or all, tails, tails. So they're always... All they're always all those things. They're always no. heads and tails. Well, and then, but then in the so-called Copenhagen interpretation of quantum mechanics, if you, if you look at them, then they they will then become. If you look at them with the caveat Neil said, you've got to be careful with language. Then they will be in one or other of those configurations. Wow. The key thing about entanglement is you can separate that those coins then, but they're still in that entangled state. You're very careful about it. And we've done this. Quantum computers work like this, right? So you separate them. They're still in that entangled state. And then as the questioner said, it is true. If you then make an observation of one of them, then, then, then it, and it turns out it's heads. Even if it's a billion light years away, the other one's then tails. Because that was the state it was set up in. If that one's heads, that one's tails. If that one's tails, that one heads. So that, that's quantum entanglement in a, in a nutshell. And it is indeed, Einstein called it spooky action at a distance. He didn't like it at all. Spooky. So there is. However, however, the really important thing to say is you can't signal using that process. Even though you might intuitively think, I could send Morse code or something. I could send dots and dashes. I could say yes or no. Immediately across the universe, I could answer a question, yes or no. You can't with that. It's really built into the structure of the theory. So even if, if you might think that the, the spirit of relativity is being broken, the letter of the law is not, because information mm. doesn't travel faster than speed of light in that sense. So, that, wow. so what about all this talk about the future of entanglement possibly uh, being the foundation for uh, for encryption. Oh yeah. So the, the, this is it's often described. If you think about that entangled system, it's a very rich system. It's much richer than just two bits. They call qubits these things. And then it's much, you, you gave the simple. You gave the simplest possible. Case. Yeah, yeah. And so it, it's uh, generally you can entangle things, photons, for example, and, or electrons. Uh. You can entangle them. Um, and and the, the point is that the the structure, the information potential, if you like, is much richer. It's often, entanglements often in quantum computing is called an information resource, right? Mm. So you're right. So you can do things with this. You can build very powerful computers. They're very good at certain things at the moment, one of which is breaking encryption, right? They're extremely good at factorizing large numbers, which is what our banking is built on. So yes, uh, so, you, so that they are part of our technology now. This property of the universe is part of our technology. Oh, by the way, Chuck, do you know who has the world record for most distant entangled particles in the world? No. China. Someone asked me that the other day and I couldn't, I didn't know how, what the distance is. Oh, so they've, they've done it from Earth to orbit? Oh. And China did it. So it's the it's Earth orbit distance and they've also done it in fiber optics, which I think is harder, right? Because it's not just open air, so to speak. And there could be more ways to break the entanglement and preventing the great distances. So unless I saw those 50 kilometers entangled via fiber optics, 
which means this can work across a city uh, scale, for example. That's amazing. Yeah. But I'll tell you how, um, it's a very good question, because how, how difficult it is to understand, really fundamentally. There's a Leonard Susskind, who's one of the great um, black hole theorists, a great theoretical physicist, who wrote, by the way, a brilliant book called The Theoretical Minimum. If you're really interested in quantum mechanics, and you really want to get down into it, his book, The Theoretical Minimum on Quantum Mechanics, is superb. And isn't he the guy who's like a, a big exponent of the holographic universe, yes. too? Uh, he, he invented that, really, with Gerald Gerald But he um, has got, came up with a theory, which he works on, called ER equals EPR. So EPR is really this entanglement. It's Einstein, Podolsky, and Rosen. So they, in the, in the 30s, I think it was, Einstein, with these two colleagues, did a lot of work on entanglement, really trying to understand it and see what it meant for reality. And uh, ER is Einstein-Rosen, which is wormholes. So there is a picture of quantum entanglement which has come to the surface in trying to understand black holes, that you can picture these things being separated by, as I said, light years, these quantum coins or whatever you want to call them, being linked with a wormhole uh, which links them together. And, and so that's very a very kind of cutting edge, advanced way of looking at it, which is not altogether widely accepted, but a, a mainstream in the study of black holes and how information gets out of black holes. Well, but at least that feels better mm. than this happening in the middle of empty space, right? I mean, if you connect them with a wormhole, however exotic that is, I can feel that, all right? I'm, I'm with you on that, all right? And then the, the structure of the universe is all uh, connected by wormholes pairing up entangled yeah. entities. What we're looking at is something called emergent space-time, which is very cutting edge. Sean Carroll, actually, you will know wrote a good book on this. Sean called a physicist at Caltech. So this idea is that space-time emerges from quantum entanglement. So I think it's true mm. today, the general view now, uh, in the, uh, the cutting edge, is that entanglement and space and time are intimately linked. And we're beginning to... So you're losing me on... I know, I don't, I don't want to take up the show because now I'm lost on the... <laughs> I am lost <laughs> right on this yet. entanglement, <laughs> entanglement, and the black holes, because you're talking about, you know, what she says in the question here is, you know, you're talking about spaghettification, reduced to a stream of atoms, and then you were talking about the information coming out. So uh, 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 maybe I'm too sci-fi in this reconstruction of this information. How do you do that without losing all the information if you come down to the atoms themselves get broken apart? I'm, I don't understand how that would actually, that entanglement would then be anything um, on, on the side of reconstitution. What would it be? It's, it would just be a big mess. It's a brilliant question. And um, it... Yeah, yeah, oh my yeah. God, it is? It is. <laughs> it is. See? Wait, wait. It, 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 Chuck is about to pop right there. Okay, no, I'm just <laughs> saying, like, don't be, a, don't be afraid not to know what the f people are talking about because you might end up asking a brilliant question. <laughs> <laughs> but when we actually, Brian, we got to take okay. a break. Uh, when we come back, we'll pick up and see if all of Chuck's gaskets were blown. Over the <laughs> <laughs> Chuck. <laughs> all right, we'll be we'll be right back with Cosmic Queries with Brian Cox, just blowing our mind as he can do on Star Talk. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly seven hundred and fifty dollars on average. Plus. Auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. 
Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. We're back to third and final segment, Star Talk, Cosmic Queries, Brian Cox, uh, a physicist extraordinaire, just helping us decode the universe one particle at a time. <laughs> and Chuck, if, if you were with us, Chuck blew a gasket at the end there, uh, trying to understand what happens if particles go in a black hole, does the black hole remember what the thing was? And if the information comes out again, does it remember? And if information is what's moving through uh, wormholes given the fabric of the universe. Uh, Brian, you're messing with us here. Yeah. But keep, but, but keep at it. <laughs> it's called the Black Hole Information Paradox. It's been around since the 1980s based on Stephen Hawking's very famous paper in 1974 which showed that black holes radiate. Black holes ain't so black, Stephen said. They, they radiate, mm. they glow like coals in the sky. It's called Hawking radiation. And ultimately, because they glow like coals in the sky, and it's to do actually with entanglement, quantum entanglement in the vacuum of space and the event horizon of the black hole. And so, anyway, they evaporate. They're gone then. One day they are gone. Uh, and it's now widely accepted that all the information that, that fell into the black hole over time, including the star that built it, the whole lot, ends up imprinted, heavily scrambled, as Chuck said, really scrambled up and imprinted in the Hawking radiation that came out. So if you were, and this is very much in principle, right? If you were an almost omniscient super being with the world's, the biggest quantum computer you could possibly imagine, and you managed to stick all the information, all the Hawking radiation into the quantum computer, then in principle, you could reconstruct what had happened over all that time. So this is gluing back together a shredded document. It's a transporter machine. Basically. It's the same. In principle, if you burn a book, very 2022, right? Yeah. Yeah. Don't, yeah. No, don't yeah, just get another analogy um, here. Come on, Brian. In principle, if you could gather everything that came off the book, you could reconstruct the book. So, and, and we think fundamentally in physics, physics is deterministic. This is what determinism is. Information is not destroyed. It's scrambled up, unimaginably difficult to reconstruct things. But in fundamentally, in principle, we think that information is conserved in the universe. Uh, black wow. holes appeared to violate that because it appeared that stuff that fell in never came out. Um, and actually, but w w when you... All right, now, wait a minute. Now, now I got to get... Okay, I'm so sorry, man, because I just, I can't go through without just knowing this because Neil and I, on a show, during an explainer, give me a second, we're talking about black holes... And then we were talking about virtual particles that appear outside of the black hole. Is that indeed information from within the black hole? Yeah, ultimately, yeah. That's the oh, picture that we have. Snap. <laughs> well, 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 I think, Chuck, the way to think about it is it came out of the energy of the gravitational energy that is the field that the black hole makes. So it kind of doesn't matter in that case whether it's on one side of the event horizon or, or the, the other. other. I, I, am I right here, Brian? I mean, it's just, it's, yeah, the, I mean, it's the black hole giving 
up itself. Okay. To yeah, the there are lots of ways of thinking about it. I mean, in, in Stephen's paper, actually, the 1974 one. Stephen, Stephen's oh, paper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, not, not Joey's paper, not Jimmy's paper. But <laughs> yeah. yeah. Stevie Reno's paper. Right, okay. Right, go, right. Give, go, go on, Brian. He does give this picture, which is that, so the vacuum, empty space is heavily entangled. And, uh-huh. he, and he says, this is not, he writes in the introduction, it's not the best, it's not an, a, an exact picture, but it's good enough, right? So you can imagine these particles popping in and out of existence all the time in the vacuum of space, and they're entangled, right? And they're in and out, in and out like that. And if you think on that, it, when there's an event horizon of a black hole, you can have this situation where one of them is on the inside and one of them is on the outside. You shouldn't think of them crossing the horizon. You, you just it, it, you can have this situation where one of them's inside, one of them's outside. They're entangled. The one that's outside can go away and take energy away from the black hole, as Neil said. Uh, and the the one inside, you would think, just stays there and it eventually goes to the singularity or whatever's happening. Wow. Um, but but because the black hole evaporates, then it's gone one day. Then the thing that this was entangled with, the one that went out into the universe, is gone. So that's a destruction of information. And that, that's the heart of the information paradox. So it's a different way of producing radiation. If you burn the book, then it's, everything's in contact with itself. And you know, that every, it's all, you know how, these, how the smoke and the ashes are being produced, right? But, but it's different the way that a black hole glows. Wait, wait so, so, is, so it's still entangled with the particle that escaped. Yeah. Is the particle inside the event horizon still entangled with the particle that escaped? Yeah, but then the problem is then the black hole goes. <laughs> so, so the problem, and actually the problem actually comes about halfway through the black hole's life. It's called the page time, the experts. But broadly, you can think of it as saying, these things are entangled. I can't just destroy entanglement because if I do that, I destroy information. And in some sense, destroy space as well. It's, it's often referred to as the glue that holds space together. But it's, you can't just erase entanglement. But then if you've got all these Hawking radiation particles emitted for trillions of years that are all entangled with the interior of the black hole, and then the black hole is gone, then you have a problem. So that's the black hole information problem. Okay, but, but so, so again, getting back to the point of the speed of light, these, um, you're inventing, or you and, 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 and partners in crime here are inventing wormholes as the medium between the two entangled well, particles. No, no, actually, interestingly, historically, yes, uh, Leonard Susskind and, and others had this picture, this ER equals EPR picture that I described. But actually, the, um, the modern picture uh, is, is they're not being invented. It's, uh, it's often described as, as gravity itself. It seems that Einstein's theory of general relativity kind of knows more than you give it credit for. So, so you get these geometries, these shapes of space-time that are really, they're, they're emerging from the theory. So you don't put them in by hand. So, because it, it sounds like someone's just fudged it, right? <laughs> just made, it, made up something and gone, oh, let's just have wormholes all over the place. That's really not how it's happening in the calculations. People are doing calculations and then it's beginning to look like there are wormholes backing up this speculative idea that was uh, offered a few decades ago now. So that's, that's the way it's going. So, so what, you know what, what blows my mind is the idea that things we just accepted blindly as that's just how it is. And when you accept something as how it is, you no longer ask a deeper question. 
Mm. And you're just content with all that. It's curved space because, you know, matter curves space. Space tells matter how to move. And we're done here. On to the next problem. And you kept thinking about it. Wow. You and your peeps yeah. kept I, I thinking. It. I mean, it's not me. I, I should say it's, it was It was initially. It, yeah, it was you. Take credit. They're yeah. not here. <laughs> Brian, they're not here. Just take the credit. They're not here. Who cares? <laughs> you know, sometimes we, we tell these stories in physics, don't we? We glorify people when we put them on pedestal. Yeah. But it is widely said that, that Stephen Hawking initially asked this question. So he really pushed it and said, my calculation from 1974 suggests that black holes destroy information. And he really pushed wow. it. And, and people like Leonard Stuskind and Jared Tooth initially, who was also a prize winner, really pushed back against it. And that was the beginning of this field in the 80s. But you're right, it's, it's people just not saying, oh, it doesn't matter. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's a fundamental right, right. clash of principle between quantum mechanics and general relativity. That's the value in it. And, and, and just to be clear, when scientists disagree, that is, that is an amazing, that's a fun fact because something's, something's going to break, something's going to be discovered, some new data is going to reveal. Intellectual and... cage match smackdown. <laughs> it's, it's the most wonderful thing. I mean, everybody who worked on it from the initial moment that this you, you dream of discovering a fundamental problem with your world because you yeah. know Neil, mm. it, that's that that's where it gets exciting you got i was wrong mm -hmm. you know there's something wrong here and that you know that yeah. the, the difference so do you okay here's a question for both of you then do you as a scientist think that when someone comes up and disproves something or uh, proves something else one or the other that your uh, wrong supposition made that happen. Is it like everybody gets to take credit? Or is it... <laughs> because... So, you well, I, I'll, I'll take that first. Okay. So I want to get Brian's reaction to that. Um, it's possible to be interesting and wrong, okay, rather than uninteresting and wrong, right? So the geocentric universe with Earth in the middle, that was interestingly wrong, all right? They were trying to fit things and that had a lot of intellectual capital invested in trying to understand it, but it, it, it posed the problem that attracted people's interests. And so anytime we talk about Copernicus, we also talk about Ptolemy, right? He's in, he's in the conversation here. So, 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 so Brian, uh, people who, who you have to stand on their shoulders even to say they're wrong, that still has huge value, Absolutely. right? Um, Absolutely. I mean, as I said, Stephen Hawking initially... Um, he had a bet with, um, I think it was John Preskill, who's a, a quantum, very famous quantum information physicist and our physicist who works on black hole. They had a bet, and Hawking bet, that information was destroyed in black hole evaporation. Uh, he then conceded after some work by um, Maldacena, actually, and others, he conceded, this is the holographic stuff. You mentioned holography, didn't you? He came from holography, this. So he conceded it and said, oh, I was wrong. And he was delighted. He changed his mind. And the bet was that he had to give John Prescott some encyclopedias. So they had a bet on encyclopedias. John, being American, wanted baseball encyclopedias. And Stephen was going to get cricket encyclopedias. If he... <laughs> and in the last edition of A Brief History of Time that Stephen added to, there's a great story at the end where he so he gave, he had to give John Prescott the baseball encyclopedia. And he says in Brief History of Time, given what we've just discussed about, you know, the things and the, and the ashes and the smoke and all the information, he said, I should have given them in an urn and burnt them. 
<laughs> and then oh my <laughs> god the information would have been in the air the ashes <laughs> of the encyclopedia yeah, he said, he said oh my gosh well there's, a, there's an example of first of all Stephen Hawking's great humor because he was extremely funny uh, but secondly it shows how delighted he was delighted to have to change his mind you know after mm-hmm. on a position that he'd held for decades actually oh yeah yeah very cool I would add that reporters writing about scientists and people there's this sort of belief out there that we all just want to agree with each other, right? And don't want to rock the boat. They talk about a person's cherished theories. They don't want to give it up. And the the best of the scientists would just as soon have it go away if it's replaced by something amazing. And let me tell you this, Brian, if I won a bet that was that fundamental about the operations of the universe, I would have come up with something a little more interesting than encyclopedias. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they, they all they, they engage in ridiculous bets. And the point is, as you said, though, the, the reason they did they do that, but all this community of people do it, is because you don't want to be right. You just want to understand nature. No. Right. It doesn't, wow. no, no one cares. You know what? I, I say that to my wife every argument we have. <laughs> <laughs> every argument. I, look, I don't want to be right. I just want to understand. Okay, what the hell are you talking about? What are you talking about? <laughs> well, you can liken yourself to Stephen Hawking and Kip Thorne and John uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right, quick. I, you know, we have like one minute left. I can't believe we only did three questions <laughs> wow, for this whole show. I know. Uh, Chuck, Chuck, let's see if Brian has like sound bites in him. All right, one more question. question. Here's a great one. And this is uh, George Radier who says, hello, Dr. Tyson, Dr. Cox, and Lord Nice, which is greater, the number of hypothetical plank length objects stacked in a six foot tall human being or the number of six foot tall humans stacked head to toe in the largest star we've ever discovered. I know. (laughs) There's definitely the plank lengths. Um, yeah, Planck's going to, no matter, he didn't even have to finish that question. Right. But, but the number of humans you could possibly stack in the universe, then it would be the number of humans because there's a finite number of Planck lengths in a human and there's quite possibly an infinite number of humans you could stack in, well, in the observable universe. It's a good question. Now, that might be good. Yeah, then there's, there's an edge to it, yeah, in that sense. So 43 billion light years uh, out to the horizon then how many uh, six feet? <laughs> What's 43 billion light years divided by six feet? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> George, George, George I got I to tell you, George. George, if you're listening, I got to tell you, you did it. You finally see what it takes to get two scientists <laughs> to just go off in a tangent. Like, I mean, my answer would have been, bro, stop smoking so much weed. That would have been my answer. And you two were sitting there just like, well, you know, the universe does have an edge, okay? Well, yes, 43 billion light years, exactly. <laughs> so, Brian, take us out with your best attempt to get people to appreciate how small a plank length is. Yeah, there you go. Take us out with that. Um, it's, um, I, I haven't got the numbers on the top of my head. I, I should know how many Planck lengths cross a proton. I do know that, and I've forgotten it. <laughs> oh, I've forgotten it. Oh, mm. oh, um, man, man. You know, you know, know what? Just... You don't know what? I forgot too, Brian. I... <laughs> <laughs> 
I Chuck knew it. I, yeah, you know what? I, I it's just you know, his silly little information like that just I, seems to slip right out on me. I, I absolutely know it because I've just written I've written a book on it. <laughs> okay, that's awesome. Okay, but what happens, Chuck, Chuck? That means in this show we just drain Brian yes. of all available knowledge, and he's this. He's this pile of, of, of weeping goo on the other side here. He's got nothing left. Okay. Funny, okay. To the minus that means 35. we should end this end right now. 10 to the minus 35 meters, isn't it, right? It's 10 to the minus 35 meters. Uh, That's point no, 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 yeah, 35 knots. So, um, so, so if you wanted a meter, if you wanted a meter, this is right, 10, 10 meters, it'd be a, a million, 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 million. Wow. Blank lengths. That's right, isn't it? Yes. 10 to, I was probably 10 to the 36. So there you go. Okay. So we've got a million, 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 million plank lengths in one meter. That's about right. It's about one and a half, that, whatever, something like that. Once you start using exponents, I know that I don't understand the number. I know I can't conceive of it at that point. It's like, what would a distance, give me a distance. We will leave, oh, and I'll leave you with one thing here. That plank length is basically the, the digital structure of the fabric of the universe itself is that yeah. is that is that like a pixel a pixel when we think of them it's a, the pixels of the universe massive discovery in black hole physics made by jacob beckenstein back in the 1970s is that if you if you say how much information can a black hole store it's called the entropy of the black hole um uh, then it's the area of the event horizon in square plank lengths that's damn so that does look like space is pixelated in, in that sense yeah Wow, yeah, okay. All right, dudes, we got to end it there. So, Brian, uh, I, I, I know you're on Twitter as Professor Brian Cox. Uh, what, what, else, what are you on Facebook uh, and every, uh, Prof, everywhere Prof else? Prof Brian Cox on Twitter, at Prof Brian Cox. On uh, Facebook, uh, something like that, yeah. Something like that, okay. I think my Twitter copied <laughs> into Facebook. I should yeah, do more okay, Facebook, you got it. Because I think, you know, Twitter now is just a <laughs> people shouting. It's a cesspool. Small, it's a cesspool, sentences yeah. at each other. So there we are. Yeah, yeah. All right, and Chuck, we can find you. Chuck, nice comic. Yes, but usual. I'm going to change it to Black Max Plank. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. It's, tell me how that goes with you, okay? You okay? <laughs> I don't mind about being wrong. You can have your thing. <laughs> I, uh, I don't mind being wrong. Yes, right, wrong right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, we're done here. We are so done here. Uh, this has been Star Talk, Cosmic Queries Edition. Uh, with one of our favorite guests, Brian Cox. Always good to have you, Brian. Chuck, as always. Neil deGrasse Tyson here, your personal astrophysicist. Keep looking up. 